This is Billy Werner from Seisha and Hot Cross, and you are listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with another brand new episode. And I've got a return guest with me in the co-host chair today. We've got Andrew Lowe from The Jazz June and Post Skeleton. Andrew, welcome back to the show. Hey, man. It's really, you know, I've been uh, I've been pestering you to come back on, so I'm glad you found an opportunity. And uh, it's great that uh, to have the Sergi interview, because, um, yeah, he's one of my favorite guitarists, so really glad to be here. I've also had a crazy week, so uh, this is, I've been looking forward to this. Yes, I've been meaning to get you back on the show. And to your credit, Andrew, you did not pester me. You only emailed <laughs> me about it once, and I wanted to get you back on because you're cool. And I, ke- I just kept thinking, I, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, Andrew's going to guest host. Andrew's going to guest host. Then you emailed me about something else. And I saw this episode was coming up and I was like, perfect, yes, perfect match. And to our dear listeners, the episode I'm talking about is our guest this week, who is Sergi Lubkov. And he's done it all. He's literally done it all. Sam I Am, Soleil, Atlantic Pacific, Ways Away, Knapsack. The guy has been in every band that has ever existed. And they're all great. What would you say your favorite Sergi band is, Andrew? Well, I have to go with Sam I Am because I've been listening to them since I've been around 15 and I'm now 45. So, you know, they've definitely stood the test of time. And even like, you know, obviously their earlier albums I got really into when I was that age. But even, yeah, I mean, their latest album um, and, you know, songs like 80 West and Sunshine from some of the later albums, it's just absolute tunes. So they just, they just never, they never let me down. I love Knapsack too, though. Um, but yeah, Sam Am is definitely my favorite. Yeah, they're great. My favorite, I'm going with Soleil because back in the day, you know, Texas is the reason was gone. I had, I heard Garrett was doing a new band with members of Sam I Am. I was like, this is a match made in heaven. Yeah. Both of those full lengths are great. The debut EP is great. The New Ways Away record is really good, too. I recommend that to anybody who has not heard it yet. It's called Torch Songs. Great stuff. We talk about all of these bands and more. That's coming up shortly, so hang in there. But first, here's how you can support the new scene. Give us Apple Podcast and Spotify reviews. Five stars. And in Apple Podcasts, you can write a review. If you write a nice review... I'll read it on the air. Also, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. And you know what? I got a nice email from a listener named Marcus, and I'm going to read that right now. Marcus says, thank you for the podcast. I'm writing to tell you how much I enjoyed the last two episodes. I find your questions well thought out and enjoy the moments in which you share something personal without interrupting the flow of the conversations. Also, you're well-spoken, and the podcast has an excellent audio quality. And I've been listening to The Dangerous Summer. Thank you for sharing the song. I rated the episodes on Spotify, hoping it helps the podcast, Marcus. Marcus, thank you. That was a really nice email. And yes, the ratings do help us a lot. So if you're a listener of the show and you haven't rated yet, 
hit that five-star button. It helps us out a lot. It's always good to hear something nice about what you're doing. Right, Andrew? Hey, and I'm going to second that because I think I'm probably the biggest um, listener. I've listened to every motherfucking episode of this podcast. I've gone all the way back from the beginning, and I listen every week. I wait for it every Monday. And, um, you know, get off your ass and leave a comment, five-star review. Come on. This guy's doing it for the love of it, so uh, you got to support him. Wow, Andrew, thank you. You really listen to every episode? Yeah, I mean, I listen to 10 million different epi- uh, podcasts, not to say that, yeah. uh, <laughs> but I'll say, <laughs> I'll say it to you because I'm talking to you. This one's my favorite, uh, but no, I do. I listen every week because it's just all the bands that I like or bands I haven't heard of, and then I find out that I do like them. Um, you know, you've got sort of going back to... You know, even like this podcast from you know the eighties till current bands. So uh yeah, I love it. And again, I think the comment about the audio quality, literally some podcasts when I turn them on, if they're like talking through some weird phone or a zoom connection, I can't listen to it. So yeah, audio quality on this one's top notch. So um makes a big difference for me. Wow. Thank you, Andrew. Oh, more nice comments. I'm I'm glowing right now, everybody. <laughs> but yeah, the audio quality is of the utmost importance to me. That's why, you know, if it doesn't sound good, you're going to be lost. Yeah. And that's it. So thank you, Andrew. And thank you, Marcus. Okay. And don't forget to support Iodine Recordings, Jerome's Dream, The Gray In Between, the brand new LP is up now for pre-order. Make sure you listen to the new single, Stretched Invisible from London. The single is great. Jerome's Dream are great. And I can't wait to hear this new record. They've got a full US tour starting in May. You can get tickets for that now. Sign up for the Iodine Recordings email list. You'll find out about everything first. And for more information about Jerome's Dream, the tour, the record, the pre-order, and everything else, head over to iodinerecordings.com or the Iodine Instagram, at Iodine Recordings. And last but not least, don't forget to support this month's sponsor, Bridge Nine Records. You've got to stop by the record store at 282 Rantoul Street in Beverly, Massachusetts. By the time this month is done, I want that address burned into your memory. The record store is open every Wednesday through Sunday, starting at 11 a.m., Bridge Nine is doing record auctions now. They're doing record auctions out of the store on Instagram. Follow B9 Auctions. The bidding takes place in the comments of the posts, so get involved with that. The record store is also buying used vinyl. If you got a kid on the way or you want to buy a new car and you're looking to unload your vinyl collection, take it over to the record store. Also, Death Before Dishonor have tour dates starting this May. Check the Bridge Nine Instagram at Bridge N I N E for the dates of that tour and for more information. And when you stop into the store, you may even see Chris Wren himself behind the register. And you can ask him, hey, Chris, what's the best show on television right now? And he will tell you The Last of Us. All right, I don't know that for a fact, but I hope that he'll say that. Are you watching The Last of Us, Andrew? Uh, no, my partner is. I tried to, but it made me far too stressed out. Um, but I, I think I need to revisit it because my, yeah, everyone I know is just raving about it. It got like an eight point something on IMDb, like one of the highest rated television shows. So it's got to be good. It's very good. And I'm totally sold on it after the last episode. 
amazing, amazing show. Love it. For more information, head to bridgethenumber9.com or the Bridge9 Instagram at bridgenine. Okay. So, Andrew, let's talk about music. What are we listening to? And, Andrew, I want to start with you. Okay. I've got kind of a, a long list here, but I won't spend too much time on it. But um, So, I've got this guy who... um. He's actually one of the dads from school, but he he's like this really cool metalhead guy who owns a record store in London called Crypt of the Wizard. And they're like specialized in like heavy metal and black metal and stuff. So it's a really cool scene because um, basically none of it's on Spotify and you have to buy the vinyl or basically a lot of it's on YouTube. So the, there's some cool bands. Um, Solar Cross is one of them. There's another one called Roman Master, another one called Earthly Form. Um, if you're into like black metal, it's, it's cool. Like even if you're into hardcore and metal, you, you should check it out. Cause, uh, you, you might be surprised. Um, there's a really cool band from, um, up in Sheffield here in the UK called big break. They're one of my friends bands, but they're on Spotify. They're really good. Um, and then kind of of the emo genre, I've been listening a lot to the new always album. It's not so new anymore. Blue rev, but oh my God. What a what an album! Just song after song, and the, the songwriting, the guitar playing, amazing. Yeah, that's pretty much the, the the main ones. And then you know, I've been going back to a lot of hardcore, like um, SSD Control and things like that, um, because I've been I've been playing this punk band called Verbin Barbon, and we've been writing some new things lately. So yeah, just getting some inspiration from that. But um, yeah, just a lot of different stuff. Awesome. I love the idea of music out there and not on Spotify. Like, yeah. I've been meaning to comb through my old hard drive and find stuff that doesn't exist anymore. It's like hidden treasure out there. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I guess, I don't know if they're doing it on purpose, but it's like, you know, it makes you buy... Because, you know, if you're trying to listen to something on YouTube is annoying because every time you click off the page, it, like, stops playing. And, you know, you don't really want to, like, walk around streaming YouTube. It's not very... um yeah, it's not very easy, but, you know, it makes you kind of like buy the record. So it make, it gives, you know, this guy's got a shop selling the, you know, and he'll have exclusive, exclusive deals with, with record labels. So it keeps him, uh, you know, keeps his kids uh, eating sausage and mash. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely, definitely kind of a cool thing. Nice. Who was the emo band again? I could use a new uh, refreshing emo release. Oh, Always? It's spelled like A-L-V-V-A-Y-S. Oh, yeah. I've seen that name. Yeah. yeah. Their latest album, Blue Rev, is so good. Um, also, have you listened to Pool Kids? No. They're like, um, they're a little more like poppy, but they've got everything. It's like, I don't know, some of the newest e new emo bands, it seems like they um, they basically mash up like 17 different genres of emo into one song and it's very technical and mathy, but then they'll break into these like awesome choruses and stuff. So yeah, it's... um. It's definitely worth checking out for sure. Nice. And everybody, my pick for this week, Zulu, A New Tomorrow. I just had Anaya on the show last week, and in the time that that episode came out, the debut LP dropped. This is one of the best hardcore releases I've heard in a long time. Very new, very exciting. You know, they, they incorporate some spoken word and like samples of older jazz music and stuff like that with some very vicious hardcore with that sometimes even has like a little bit of a hip-hop flavor on top of it this record is really really something and if you haven't heard it yet get on it now this is going to be big this will easily be 
a top 10 release of the year. Have you heard it, Andrew? I haven't heard the new record, but I've heard the first two EPs and they're like, yeah, one of my favorite like hardcore bands. They're just so cool and they do it in such a different way. And like you said, with the samples and that guy, um, the singer, uh, yeah, I listened to your episode with him and he had another podcast that I listened to. It's just like genuinely great intentions and really cool guy and awesome band with like killer riffs. Oh God. Yeah. This is a piece of art, a piece of art, a new tomorrow. By Zulu. Check it out. So there you go. There's our recommendations. Plenty to dig into. So make sure you check back in with me and Andrew after the interview with Sergi. We'll talk about what's going on with us. Andrew has some exciting music news for us. We'll cover it all. But right now, we are going to speak to Sergi Lubkoff. Enjoy. We are here now with Sergi Lubkov. Sergi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be here. It's wonderful to have you here, Sergi. You know, you've done a lot in music over the years, from your early days at Gilman to Sam I Am, and now Ways Away. And we're going to cover all of that, Sergi. But first, let me ask you, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing all right. You just caught me like in a frustrated frustrated little uh thing right before i just quit um i do graphic design and i'm trying to do these uh big walls for uh, for a shopping mall and i'm just like pissed off and frustrated <laughs> so it's good, it's good to take a break from doing the uh the work yeah yeah i i got stuck on something too right before i was talking to you and i was like you know what they don't need it tonight Let's uh let's get some other stuff done and I can tackle it again tomorrow. What are you stuck on? What do you what do you have to make? They're just you know like when you go to a mall and there's those giant um well it's like for barricades but sometimes it's just walls where you have this just humongous um I don't know how to describe them but like ads or like giant posters that are like you know like 200 feet wide and and goes from floor to ceiling. Yeah. And uh yeah, I don't, I don't want to bore anyone else with it but it's just pissing me off right now so well we're not going to think about work right now because uh who wants to do that where are you uh located these days uh i live in downtown la oh nice do you like that it's okay you know like i i bought my place in 2002 and 
you know, when I told people I did that, everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing that for? Like, like people generally felt sorry for me uh, because it was just like all abandoned buildings. And uh, it was called the Arts District. It really was kind of the Arts District back then. And, or it was the tail end, I guess, because it was uh, very sparse. And uh, if you went to like a party at some warehouse, it would be, you know, like 99% guys over their 50s and older getting drunk and maybe one or two women <laughs> you know uh it was it was like going to it was like going to a, a bukowski party or whatever um but then over the year starting around 15 years ago and just exponentially each year uh it's gotten more uh just like a yuppie place uh for example my building i could never afford to buy my building now it's like so i'm surrounded by rich people in my building. But when I bought my place, it was uh, dirt cheap. So you got in early and you own now? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But like I said, it's like, I don't really like eat around my neighborhood because, or, or, or you know, because occasionally I'll get an $8 coffee or, you know, a $9 <laughs> scoop of ice cream or whatever. Uh, and especially occasionally I'll eat in one of these restaurants. But in general, it's just like, it's turned to be like a rich person little place, you know, what, what everyone complains about, like New York and Brooklyn, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I live in a pretty nice neighborhood in Brooklyn. I honestly, I wouldn't be able to afford this neighborhood, but I kind of, I have kind of a special situation going on here, which is good. So I'm able to be in this neighborhood, but there's yuppier parts of Brooklyn that I don't go to too often. You know, there's a uh, shadier parts of Brooklyn I don't go to too often. I'm happy right where I'm at. It's good. And I like downtown LA a lot too. You know, I guess, I don't know. I guess I I think I, I think I would want to live in downtown if I was there because I like the, the city feel because, you know, I've been in New York for 10 years. That's what I'm used to. It's different. I mean, there's no such thing as downtown LA. Like where I live, it's kind of like, you know, like it's turned into something that's more like condo, young, rich person per place. Uh, like two blocks away is Skid Row, which looks like uh, the worst third world country you've ever been to. And then yeah. other like super rich places that are um, more more like Manhattan, where it's just like people drive into their little places and it's scum. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's very different, everyone. But I don't know. You, know, you asked me about like, it's like, it's cool. I've been here for like longer than I've lived anywhere else my entire life. Uh and so it's kind of just, it's just what it is more than like, yeah, hey, I'm here or like, you know, <laughs> even in like in my neighborhood, there's the, what, the worst thing and we'll move on from where I live, I guess it's not that interesting, but the worst thing is um, what's the, I thought that once like, you know, property values went up and richer people came in, that it would mean that it would be cleaner because, you know, it was kind of dirty. It was abandoned warehouses and abandoned when I moved in. And I, and so there's like gravel on the ground, not really garbage. Definitely not like uh, shit everywhere, like little shit. And then as it got richer, it's weird because everyone has dogs and I have a dog too. I'm not complaining, but like, you know, there's a certain type of richer, especially younger, I think, richer person that just like refuses to pick up dog shit. And and then there's also like the, you know, like the the homeless person contingency that also like, like to shit around and stuff <laughs> so in a weird way it's got like way nicer and way fancier but also it got way dirtier <laughs> so it's kind of weird city life you gotta love it 
Yeah, you know what? Don't even get me started on the entitled young rich people thing. It, like the blatant disregard for everything really gets my blood boiling. But you know what, Sergi? We're not here to talk about that today. Okay. We're here to talk about. We are though. Maybe it's two like older gentlemen complaining. I mean, maybe that's what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> that could be a good spin-off podcast. Two older gentlemen complaining. <laughs> I'll be Mortimer. <laughs> I love it. So let's take it back a bit, Sergi. Where did you grow up? I, I uh, was born and I grew up and I went to college in Berkeley. And then uh, later in life, I, I moved down to LA. So I've, I've only lived in two different places in my life. And talk about your formative punk rock years. Now, I know you were involved in a number of bands that played at Gilman a lot in the formative years there. But talk about Talk about how you first got exposed to it and, you know, just some early experiences that grabbed you. Well, you know, like the, my, my, uh, my brother and I, I have a twin brother, and we were initially we were really into um, heavy metal. We went, we go to heavy metal shows and we're the, of the age where we like saw Metallica and um, Slayer and a bunch, bunch of bands that uh, exist. Uh, in clubs in the Bay Area, because you know when we were like you know fifteen or fourteen, however we were old back then, um, like the Bay Area was like the sort of center of like thrash metal, you know, like in eighties. Uh, and we were that was like the first thing that we were into that was like our own music, because before that we like you know soul and um, like soul music, but that's because that's what our parents liked, right? So. Um, I still like soul and stuff, and I still pretty much liked soul as a young kid, but it, it, we didn't choose that as much as it was like, oh, this is music. <laughs> and metal. That's what you know. Yeah, metal was like the first thing we discovered when, oh, shit, this is cool. And uh, I often sort of repeat this little little um, chronology, but um, when I do like podcast interviews, uh, but it's really true. It's not just me just uh, making up a story and memorizing it. Um, I mean, just like blurting it out every time but we were into metal and we saw like like the rad metal bands of the day and then we went to a dead kennedy show and it was almost like overnight we thought still likes metallic and slayer or whatever but we said well uh this music it seems a little silly after going to a dead kennedy show which was like less of a concert and it was more like it was almost like a it was almost like a a, a rally or like a protest kind of way. I mean, it was music and always people running around in circles and stage diving, but it was singing about, you know, social issues and, 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 and whatever. And I just felt still a little kid and I didn't understand half of it, but I go, Oh wow, this is like way more grown up. And this means something to people rather than um, a skull inside a, a, a cave or whatever, <laughs> or a dragon. And, um, and so then for like, you know, a number of years, I was really just all about punk. And it was like Dead Kennedys and Circuit Jerks, Mind Threat. And uh, it was back in the t tape trading days. So like lots of like obscure sh stuff that isn't really all that remembered now. But that was kind of big uh, on me at the time. And then I just had another kind of almost like epiphany kind of concert. And that was Sonic Youth, where uh, I went. And again, it was like older people. And by this time, it was like, I think I was already like a freshman in college or whatever. But I realized, oh, shit, like, and this is, you know, generalizing, but like, this is a lot smarter than punk rock. 
And the people in the audience seem a lot smarter. Like people aren't running around in circles and tripping people. The skin ants aren't showing up. You know, just just seem like much more intelligent people. And then, um, and I don't want anyone to hate me because I'm putting down their style music they love to hear. But this is just like my own, like, you know, opinion for myself, which means nothing to anyone else. But I, I just, at that, I pretty much came up from that show and still love punk, still love hardcore uh, uh, metal. Um, but I was basically like overnight kind of turned more into like indie rocker. And, and my brother too, my brother didn't go to that show, but we both just sort of moved into like, you know, like Sonic Youth or Dinosaur Jr. or Teenage Fan Club, which uh, sort of rekindled like an interest in 60s music too, because I feel like indie rock is sort of like more like 60s music and then uh, than metal or punk usually. And yeah, and, and then I sort of got stunted ever since. You know, I've been pretty much stunted. Like you could take metal too and punk too, but bands from like 1981 or two till you know, I don't know, 93 or 94, and you have my Desert Island bands. I don't really need much after that. And and like an older gentleman, <laughs> I often just go, yeah, yeah, this new thing that people are liking is cool, but it's not as good. And, you know, it's, I, I'm totally cognizant of the fact that it's what all old people do. Uh, it's get stuck in the ways, but... You know, like I've done like a bunch of interviews recently because there's a new Sam Ram record and a, and a coming soon, and and there was a Ways Away record, and uh, I always bring up the Turnstile thing that's going on right now, which I totally like. Really love the idea of Turnstile. I love the um, fact that like not since I got the drive in and before that, Green Day has a band sort of just like galvanized like the imagination of like a period's youth, kind of you know. And yeah. it's been appealed to such a wide gamut of people. And I'm totally into it. I totally support it. I like their art is really cool. I'm just not like the music doesn't do anything to me. And I, uh, because, because I just don't need any more like screaming. <laughs> and I, and I don't really like, I loved Helmet, for example, or I love Rage Against Fiend, or I loved uh, Bad Brains. And I feel like a lot of, not the band or the songs, but a lot of like the guitarists, for instance, are just like, Dun, 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 dun. You know, just like kind of, hey, that's helmet or like, dee, 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 dee. and like, oh shit, that's uh, that's bad brains, and um, and then of course they re they reimagine it all with like like far out other like uh, production and neat singing and stuff. But uh, my point here is not to critique. Uh, turns out it's just, it's just I often don't just really just don't go for newer stuff, and it's just like I I just know that I, I'm an idiot and an asshole. I can appreciate it, but I just don't go for it. Like I, like you know, I can count on my hand how many times I've investigated like a new band like that that everyone else is just like gaga over. Is there a newer release that actually grabbed you that you listened to multiple times? No, there's tons, but you know, it's like one of my favorite bands right now is Oblob, right? And it's like, yeah, of course I like Oblob. Oblob sounds like 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 1992 or whatever, you know, just a little bit modernized. Are you familiar yep. with them? Yeah, I've yeah. seen them before. They're awesome. Yeah, they're like the perfect embodiment of like Dinosaur Jr. and and Sonic Youth and whatever. And uh, and like what you know, in the same way that I I love um, Tony Molina when that came out, and it's like, yeah, of course you do, because that is a little take on Teenage Fan Club, <laughs> you know. And and yeah, and there are things that get through. There's tons of things to get through. Things that I love, you know, like uh, there's a band down here called Melted that uh, I just. I, I forget how I discovered them and I love them. And 
I go see bands and I totally appreciate them. I get new records and I appreciate them. But when I'm talking in general terms, the things that I go back to and I really stick with me are things uh, from the, you know, from the good old days. And, and uh, you know, I often point out to myself what a schmuck I am about doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's what you like, that's what you like. I mean, that's it. Well, one thing that's, you know, that's true about me is that I play in bands that play vaguely in genres where I'm not really interested in that genre. Like, I don't think I'd be a fan of Sam I Am if I wasn't in Sam I Am. And people always mistake me as being a guy that might be like really way into hot water music and bouncing souls. And, and I'm like, I mean, I'm way into the people and I'm way into, you know, I think they're really good. It's just like, I listen to the zombies or Beatles or, you know, or, or, or should I don't listen to music like Sam, Sam I Am. Uh, and, and unfortunately, uh, people are often sort of like disappointed in, in that statement, <laughs> you know, like, so, did you get the new, you know, whatever current record uh, from something that's vaguely in the fest or Sam, Sam Amp thing? And I go, uh, no, <laughs> I, I, I'm not into that. I get it because uh, people will ask me like, oh, what other podcasts do you listen to? And I'm like, none. I don't regularly listen to any music interview podcasts because I do one. So like when I, when I do one and I'm done, I'm not interested in going to listen to more of it, you know? Yeah. So I get it. I think, you know, like bands, uh, like going in the nineties, like you could tell what bands that every member of the band listened to only bad religion and no effects. Cause their, yeah. their band was like a, just that, um, basically a, a shittier version of, of the music they liked. And they had a very limited scope of, uh, uh, of knowledge or like appreciation of music. And so their band was just like really one dimensional. And I think for better, or for worse, and like, uh, like I can accept for worse. Sam, I am like everyone in the band, like we didn't listen to uh, Green Day uh, and Bad Religion and No Effects or Agnostic Front or, or whatever in the last 30 years. We like some of the bands and are like, you know, have affinity and friendship. Uh, and I think that's why we don't really fit in like any kind of like genre very well. Like we don't fit into punk or hardcore that well. We don't fit into indie rock that well. We don't fit into any of the subgenres particularly well. Um, and it probably hurt our career a lot because, you know, bands that really nail what they're supposed to be appeal to a way wider audience. You know, it's like a, real, like a band like Bad Religion is unmistakably like punk, right? Like, and uh, it really helped their career just to be exact, exactly what their name or their imagery sounds like, you know? Yeah, Sam I Am doesn't sound too much like anything. It's not very emo. It's not very alternative. Like, it doesn't sound like Soul Asylum or Collective Soul or any of the other soul band. Like, all that big alternative stuff. It doesn't sound too much like the punk, California punk stuff that's going on. Bad religion, slick shoes, like all of that stuff. It, it has elements of everything, but it doesn't sound exactly like one thing. Yeah. So, you know, like it's when it comes time for someone to book a festival or sometime to make a top 10 of some kind of genre, like on the internet that helps bands, you know, you know, perpetuate like, like, uh, their, their band name in people's mind. It's like, <laughs> we're not a part of any any of that <laughs> so, so it's definitely hurt us in a way but also like for the small people in the world that do like 
the bands that play in. I think it sort of helps because people also really appreciate that. Like, I think, you know, like from a business standpoint, it's really, it's uh, really a dumb thing to, to be an outlier, but from actually making like a niche group of people like really like appreciate you, I think it actually really helps. Unfortunately, you know, being loved by a small group of people uh, doesn't like put bread on the table and sometimes, you know, makes it say you show up in a city and there's only uh, a smattering of people there. <laughs> but uh, Was it weird uh, being part of the whole Gilman scene and seeing Green Day take off and seeing Jawbreaker do their thing? And were you got, Did you guys want to do that too? Were you hoping for any of that? I mean, we tried. I don't think we, saying like we hoped for it, we were gunning for it was is kind of not correct. It's like we, you know, we got signed to a major label and did that whole uh, shtick for a couple of years on the piggyback or coattail of, of Green Day. But just because Green Day got big, it, we didn't get like necessarily stars in our eyes or have expectations. It just sort of, uh, we just rode with it. And it was never like starting on a band. I mean, there was never even a conception of uh, that being a possibility. And it wasn't for Green Day either, you know. You know what? That's interesting because you're you're kind of on the forefront of everything. When I was when I started playing in bands, it was 2004, and all of that stuff already happened like three times. And I saw friends of mine getting signed to big labels and doing big things. And, I, and so when I got into a band, I was like, oh, I'm going to do that too. We're going to play for a little, and then we're going to get signed, and then we're going to go on tour and blah, blah. And none of that happened. But you're kind of at the forefront of this whole thing, especially in Sam I Am, you know? Because you guys were playing like even pre-Nirvana, right? And that whole explosion? Yeah, yeah. We we weren't at the forefront. We were before that. And, you know, I always think of Sam I Am as being just like this overblown garage band. Um, I think, I mean, I'm not saying that I think we were like a pretty decent band and everything. It's not that I think. Uh, but I still think of us, um, we haven't played in the garage in a pretty long time. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I, I just, I feel like a garage band. I always have. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of bands get together and they're just like, I just want to be like Blink-182 and New Fungoy or, or whatever, or Billie Eilish or whatever they want to be. And that is just really alien to like anything that anyone, there's been a couple of people that have been in and out of Sam I Am that might've felt that way, especially people that want to join Sam I Am because they're, oh shit, this band's got something going on. I want to, uh, I want to try to like do what I can with this. Right. Um, but the, you know, the main people that are in the band definitely never really felt that way. What did you guys want to do? What did you have in mind? I'm, I'm talking like, uh, influentially from other bands and did you have any kind of like, Oh, we want to set out to do this. Or was it just the sum of, uh, everybody in the band? I mean, I can only speak for myself, but, um, yeah. You know, I remember saying to like band members, like, wouldn't it be great if we could just like go and play in LA, which is 400 miles away. And even if just like one kid was like, dude, I like that song or whatever that, that, uh, I remember honestly like verbalizing that and really honestly believing it. Right. And the thing with, uh, expectations and stuff, they just sort of grow after you do things. And there, there was a time when I felt that way. And then there was a time where we had gone down to LA and we played in front of like, you know, like under 50 people. And we're like, fuck, I want to go, I want to play in front of 300 or whatever. And then there, then we, there was a time when we played in front of a couple thousand people. And then we say, shit, I want to play a couple, in front of a couple thousand people every time or more. 
and you know expectations kind of kind of grow you know there's there was a time when i was like oh wouldn't it be great if it could just be on a compilation record like one song or whatever recording a real studio and then like flash forward you know seven years later and it's like we're recording in like you know a, a fancy studio and i was like oh then expectations just grow to something else. Like, oh, I wish we could get this guy to produce our record. So, like, it was always fluid. But, like, I guess to answer probably what you meant by your question is when we started, when we started, it was very similar to I feel now, uh, where uh, as a guy, where it's like, it's just not going to get popular. It's not going to get big. Uh, it's just, you know, let's have fun. Um, I just feel like I just want, I like the camaraderie. I don't know. I can't pronounce that word. Um, uh, Camaraderie. Yeah, of, there you with go. a couple of people in a room uh, creating something together, or like traveling. You know, being in Japan. Uh, or, you know, like when you're in a band, there's all sorts of moments that sort of make all the other like. There's moments that make a, the other hours more palatable. Like the hours that are maybe aren't so palatable is like you know sitting in a van or a plane uh, or or breaking down. Or, or, you know, whatever, any of the other, like, indignities that you need to endure to, 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 to keep the train rolling. And the moments are just like, you look over at your buddy, he's playing drums, and you, everything sounds good. And there's, like, a ton of people uh, on the other side of the stage just freaking out because they love what you do, right? And you just look at each other and say, oh, shit, we're sharing this moment. Um, and, I, you know, whether it's that or whether it's just being in a, in a room playing and you sound good and it's like, hey, guys, this is fun. We're all together. Cool. I can't, can't believe we're still doing this. Um, it's, you know, or you just meet some Croatian guy or girl or whatever and they just tell you they, they've been appreciating what you've been doing for years and years. And you go, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, that's why I do it now. And really, like, that was all I really could hope for um, when I started, or, or you know, way more than I could ever hope for. Like I never thought I'd be touring the world for years and years, and and uh, you know, d d did what I, I I did. So you, yeah, you did have a major label stint too. What happened? Did people? Did a bunch of like A and R guys swarm on Gilman once? Uh, once Green Day hit? Uh no, no, they did definitely not swarm on Gilman. Gilman, all the bands at Gilman were good enough to be on major labels. Uh, we, uh, you know, we had the same lawyer as Green Day and they just fielded some major labels, but you know, like all, all the other bands came in, what, what other band got signed a major label? Uh, none. I guess, uh, Jawbreaker, were they part of that scene? No, I mean, they played it, played there, but they were from originally from LA and then New York and they came and moved and they already had sort of like a falling when they came here. So they weren't really like, Oh, that's right. Yeah. Really, I mean, you know, it's everything's by perspective. And from some people that came late to Gilman, uh, like came to Gilman like 92, 93, they might have not kind of known any better, um, so to speak <laughs> and thought, Oh, yeah, they're a total Gilman band, but no, they weren't from my perspective, because I was going to Gilman for like eight years before that or whatever. Uh, and I mean, I just sounded like some kind of schmuck. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? Uh, and I mean, they got signed even after us. But like, you know, like the bands that did really well at Gilman, most of them broke up before that, before Green Day got big, like Up Ivy uh, and, you know, that whole wave. And then, you know, a lot of the bands that played Gilman were either on Fat or maybe Epitaph. Um, or Lookout, and they, those bands, I, I don't know, I, don't, I can't think, I guess the Donnas, yeah, the Donnas were one, but very few. And I think mainly because um, 
you know, people in those bands would say, we didn't want to, we didn't want to sell out. But I think it's mainly like there's certain, like in every, any scene, there's a lot of bands that are around that are people like, and they sort of gain a, 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 uh, you know, like a, an audience or a name and stuff, but they don't necessarily know how to play their instruments in a way or be able to tour in a way, like have their shit together. And, uh, you know, like when you, back then when you got courted by a major label, they're asking all sorts of things, like when they took you out to dinner and just trying to gauge or like, are, you, are these the guys who are just going to sign and then break up because they're going to go on one tour uh, and, you know, and break up or because they can't handle being away from their mom <laughs> and stuff. Uh, and I suspect if there were other bands that sort of got courted, like a lot of them, uh, you know, didn't pass that test. And then a lot of them just didn't know how to play their instruments that well. Like, I mean, they like, they were great for Gilman and they were great. And, uh, and I'm certainly not judging them, but I think like when, you know, a multinational corporation is going to put like tens to hundreds of thousands, if not more money into a, a band, uh, they're going to sort of vet that band to see if they're like actually good enough to uh, to to waste all that effort, time and effort on, right? I think I'm not saying that major label bands are better than Gillen bands were or anything like that, but uh, they were def- you know a major label bands band that can possibly sell uh, with some certain exceptions. I'm sure I'm sure there's lots of bands that could barely play that signed to major label contracts. But in general, uh, they knew how to play and, and they knew how to like do all that other crap that you needed to do to uh, to be in a touring band. How was the major label experience for you? I mean, we had two albums, some music videos. What was that life like? You know, like at the time we had to like answer that question. You just asked me like, you know, with, uh, without sounding uh, it's antiquated term of sellout you know now now of course that doesn't even exist or seems to not even exist and i would say then i'd say it almost sheepishly it's like it went well for us and it was great we did so much stuff that we never would have been able to do but i always had to sort of like qualify it in a way that i didn't sound like a sellout guy (laughs) you know what i mean um yeah, that used to, that used to be like a thing i i think it stopped around 99 2000 and but and today it's not even a thing. Like that's the goal for people. It looks like. Yeah, you know, it depends who you talk to, of course. Um, yeah, but in general, like you know, like Jawbreaker, you brought up Jawbreaker. I mean, the things that they we played some shows with them, and the things that they do now, and I not begrudging them in the slightest, is like pretty fucking sellout. Like the ticket prices and how much to sell their merch for, and making opening bands like set up in front of their drums, just all the things that like such a no, no, uh, in the, in the olden days. Uh, and again, I'm not begrudging them, uh, like more power to them. It's their business. Um, you know, they would have caught so much shit. And, uh, the thing about Sam am is like back when job got so much shit when they signed and, uh, you know, people were just like, Oh my God, it's, uh, because job really tried to be, a um, I'm not going to talk about Trout Rake now. It sounds like I'm <laughs> just switching gears. Uh, but uh, Sam I didn't really get a lot of grief for selling out because, you know, people didn't really, like I said earlier on, we didn't really, like, fit in into this, like, punk thing. And so people were like, oh, yeah, Sam I am. I always knew that they would do something like sell out and sign to a major label, right? Uh, 
in a sort of disrespectful kind of way, they would say that. Um, whereas Jawbreaker, they had such reverence of them being like, you know, in the uh, uh, same hushed tone as Fugazi or something. It's just really funny how things change. Like now, you know, it's like now a Jawbreaker, you know, Jawbreaker weren't that big uh, back when they were getting the sellout thing and they're through their ma- major label little spell, spell. It's sort of, you know, like I think you could view it as like that was a failed experiment. Uh, and now, like twenty five years later, they're like really huge. But you know, I never heard in this whole reunion and stuff. And I've gone to like six or seven shows and stuff. I never heard anyone say anything by remotely like these sellouts or anything. no, no, that's done. Yeah. Like everyone uh, loves them, you know, and and uh, it's just everyone just like, hey, these guys deserve it. I love it. And that's uh, and it's weird that some bands get a pass and some don't. It's like. I don't know, like why didn't why did Nirvana get a pass and like everyone accepted everything they said and Jawbreaker didn't? Why was Rancid okay and Jawbreaker wasn't? It's just weird how this stuff works. Well, I think both Rancid and Nirvana got a certain amount of shit, but yeah, I I, I hear what you're saying. It wasn't like yeah. this weird outcry. No, that that Jawbreaker got and tales of uh, people sitting backwards at their show and not facing them and all that shit. I don't know if that's true, but you hear that a lot. Yeah. I never, I never saw that. That was more something that I saw in the movie. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's true. I, I, I don't know, but it did talk like, and you know, the talk when anyone gets successful, like people like to talk shit or whatever. So a lot of it was just like talk because people were jealous. Did you have to deal with any of that? No, like, that, like what I was just getting at, maybe I didn't express myself clearly is that we were sort of, sort of beneath the, contempt of gatekeeper type people and it was like we didn't really get any shit like yeah that's what i thought from those those guys you know like (laughs) so that that has to be cool that you can just do your thing and you're not really yeah you're just not really getting any shit Uh, that's a good thing i would say at the time i was probably jealous that we didn't get shit because that means we didn't get the respect (laughs) oh it's like you know, you everyone internalizes everything, and everyone's like starring in their own little movie and stuff. And in my little movie, I was like, "Well, his jawbreaker get all this shit. We didn't get any shit." <laughs> you know, that's certainly something I would have thought too, because I I was just all out of whack. I still sometimes am about stuff like that. I mean, I, I laugh about it now, uh, and you know, I didn't take it that seriously back then. Like I like I said in the beginning, it's like anything was like completely not. I didn't have any expectations to be where we were and, you know, like going on these bigger tours and getting on the radio and doing videos and, uh, you know, all the, all the stuff that we did and, and also like the money that was coming in. Um, it was all like this, like surprise and it was great. Um, so any like, kind of like, Ooh, like, uh, it's like, you know, I, I bought, like I bought my first house when I was in my twenties and it was cause we did a published deal publishing deal and i was like holy shit i could buy a house this is great you know and if someone did come up to me and go you sell out i would i'd be like okay i deserve that but i'm gonna go and i wouldn't say this i would just say it to myself but i'm gonna go home and i own a house and i'm just a kid you know <laughs> um exactly during that period are you just doing the band like you you have a publishing deal or are you all set up through the label and everything no uh, not me because like uh the band, everyone else in the band, yeah, for like eight or nine years, lived off the band from, from like 94 to 2000, about how long? That's six years. But me, you know, I, I do graphic design and art and stuff. And I just had, you know, a combination of 
from my like upbringing, uh, like I still think that being in a band is uh, not enough, right? Like with your life, it's like when you're even when you're in a really big band. Okay, say you go on tour like seven months a year and you make a record and all that stuff. That there's still like tons of downtime in your life when you're in a band. Like I think of all my friends' bands and like hardworking bands. Um, and back then I was like, well, this isn't enough. And also this is not like the smartest thing for my future to bank on fucking Sam I am. Like he didn't, it wasn't like some kind of like insight. It was just like, dude, can't ignore like what's going to happen when I'm 40. Uh, so I worked like even in the height of being busy in Sam I am when we did tour like six or seven months, I was lucky enough that I like uh, could do graphic design and have a job and just come and go. And all, all through the last like almost 30 years, like whether I was freelancing or whether most of the time working at a place, I just like ingratiated myself. And I was really honest with my bosses and supervisors and whatever. Say, Hey, I'm in a band. I'm going to be going away. And it's like, if I'm going to work here, I'm going to have to go away for a month here and there or whatever. And, you know, I have multiple jobs. I, uh, and I lost jobs because of it, but I, I, I sort of surfed that like for decades. Uh, and like I said, the other guys in my band didn't. They were just like, we don't have to work. This is killer. And uh, again, not putting them down. It's just, they just uh, took a different sort of path. And also they didn't necessarily have the uh, skill or, you know, the not skill, the, um, the opportunity that I had have with the profession that I chose, you know. It's great that you had uh, the foresight to see this and and come up with a second plan because, you know, I've been in bands over the year, but I've always been working my full-time gigs as well. And now I'm in a position where I have a great job and I don't want to give it up. And uh, I did it kind of the opposite way. It was like work first, band second. And now I'm really set up with my job so I can put a little more attention into bands. Uh, So, you know, but it's good that you kept working on the graphic design thing because you, I mean, you always have a backup plan. Yeah. You know, like I listened to a podcast with David Lee Roth and he said, no, no safety net. Uh, and he was just painted this like fantasy. It reminded me of sort of like the NBA or, you know, like athlete kind of dream, uh, which, you know, I think is also a hoax where it's like you got to devote 100% to just this and just this uh, endeavor and do your best and you'll make it. Don't worry. And, uh, you know, it's like, I think that ruins people's lives, especially in sports more than music because people like ruin themselves physically and then they're pumped out at like 19. They go, okay, now figure out Pam B. But in music, it's the same thing. I mean, you know, there's thousands and trillions of people trying to do something in the entertainment industry. And there's like 0.001% that figures a way to uh, make a living off of that. So it's like, I think there's some kind of like truth to like what David Reith Lee Roth said in that podcast where it's like, if you really, really go a thousand percent into something, anything, you know, and you just really do it, you don't half-ass it. You don't say you're going a hundred percent and not go a hundred percent. You really do. Uh, I think there's a good chance that you'll get some kind of uh, success in whatever that endeavor it is. But that's just like a leap of, a leap of faith that you need to be there's a certain amount of like cynicism you have to have towards life. Like I am very, I'm, I'm a cynic. I'm very, had a lot of cynicism towards life where I was like, life's a joke and it's like a fucked up game. Uh, and then this whole reality that is constructed around us, like, you know, with all these rules and what the way we conduct 
our lives uh, with jobs and blah, blah, money and blah, blah, blah is a joke. But, uh, but I'm not going to ignore all that shit because I got to, I, I'm stuck in it and I got to fucking play it. So I do play, play things conservative, uh, you know, by this like social, like, uh, capitalistic kind of like <laughs> take life. Seriously. Yeah. Kind of- I, I have to now because I'm in it. I'm 40 years old, almost 41, you know, and the, the, what David Lee Roth is talking about is true, but that's a young man's plan. If you're 16, 17, 18 years old, and you have the passion and the drive to do something like he did, go for it. Go for it for like 20 years if you're if you're succeeding and you want to keep doing it. But I don't know. I, I can't really see making a choice like that at my age. No, that would be pretty foolish. I think yeah. also it's easy for David Lee Roth. He's talking in hindsight, right? So it's like, but uh, but I'm sure he believed it. I'm sure like he, he was one of those guys like in uh, – in uh, the, the metal years, that decline, uh, that decline movie, uh, that was not punk, but it was metal, and they, they went up and down the uh, Sunset Strip interviewing like guy, like hair metal guys, and they're like, "What's your backup plan? Like, what if you don't make it?" And he goes, "I'm going to make it." And he go, "Well, yeah, but what if you don't?" And like, they showed like 30 people say, "I am going to make it." What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and and it's like you know, you have to be pretty delusional to be sure of anything in this like experience that we go through on this planet you know it's like shit don't work out <laughs> so uh you were going strong with sam i am in 2001 the band went on hi- hiatus right what happened um we actually didn't end up going on hi- hiatus but uh the last thing that the last i often like in interviews say that like sam i am stopped being a serious band in 2001 and what happened was was like uh we just got back from a bunch of touring and then I, you know, like w- that was a transition back onto hopeless onto a, n- not a major label. And then we made this really like big uh, decision, like no more managers. Cause we had managers for years for these years. And we were like fed up with just having uh, like basically companies rule what we did and take a huge chunk of um, money that, that uh, out of our pockets. So we were sort of transitioning back into being like, you know, like I said before, like a garage band, just like doing more shit on our own. And we had a booking agent. We and hopeless wasn't a tiny label, but like, because we didn't have a manager, you know, ever since then for uh, like, I was just a free manager, you, you know, like I'd set up shit because I was just the sh- schmuck that like, I'm a go getter, I guess. And I'm, and I have most of the relationships because I always, care of stuff i didn't like sort of lay back and wait for stuff to happen and so in 2001 at some point like i had booked a tour in japan and it was uh really late in the game and they made they already made all the like posters and t-shirts with their name on it and blah 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 it wasn't like there was an idea floating around and jason just called me or maybe wrote me an email and said hey i don't want to do that japanese tour let's do it later and I think it probably was by an email because I remember calling him and I was like, I was closer to just like crying, but I was crying out of frustration because I was holding back anger because I felt like, you know, just the feeling of like, uh, take it, take it for granted or not me taking it for granted, but all the work I do and all the effort I put into, let alone other people being taken for granted. And I just told him, okay, cool. Uh, we're not going to do this tour. 
I'm not going to convince you to her, but also that's it. I want to, I want to break up. And so in my mind, Sam, I am broke up. And, but just, it was only a matter of months or weeks when, when we got like an offer for Europe and we went to Europe, right? But in my, my head, and then we went to Europe every single year, except for the pandemic year since 2000, you know, for, since really since like 1996, at least not once, not three times. And we went, you know, gone back to Japan and Australia and South America and, and played in, in the States, never just, but never like did a U.S. tour in the States again. Again, well, maybe maximum two and a half weeks where we do a section of the States for the last 20 years. Um, but like we sold our bus and like we all said, it's like, I don't want to go on tour for a month and a half in the States and play in Topeka and Cleveland like twice a year, three times a year anymore, starting in 2001. And, um, and we never did actually. But we didn't end up going on a on hiatus. Yeah, like like my plan was to break up, uh, and I moved down to LA. That's when I moved down to LA, and I was just like, you know, I'm like my early 30s now, and it's kind of too late to do this band thing anyway. This is probably for for the best. But um, but yeah, we just kept doing it, and then I did another band called Slaya, and then another band called uh, uh, Racket Club, and then now another band called ways away uh and the whole time just always continue to do sam i am uh always except for the pandemic like i said like every year doing something whether it's going to europe uh and then maybe 10 u.s shows or going to japan you know we like every year and then and we actually made a couple records in 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 that 20 years uh but you said but uh, you know i'm I'm very long-winded i apologize but uh you said (laughs) hiatus and the way I would correct you, and this is from my perspective, is to say, no, we broke up. It didn't stick. And more than a hiatus for breaking up, which in my mind, we just switched from being like a professional, trying to be like, do things like a band does and went back to being like a bloated, overgrown, like like one of the bigger garage bands on, in the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which I think there's a lot of really big garage bands in the world. We're like one of one of those bands that makes sense no i there's a lot of wrong information out there and i always want to get the get the correct information direct from the source you sergi and deliver it to the people <laughs> that's very professional but you know like whenever i say anything it's from my perspective um yeah like jason would agree that i called him up and said we broke up but like does he think that we have not been a band last 10 years i don't know if he would say that but I, 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 I would, you know, and like, we never had a manager. We never would have a manager uh, again, you know, until recently we haven't had a booking agent for years and years. We just book our own shows uh, except for Europe. Well, I mean, except for other countries you need, you can't book shows in, uh, I mean, I'm sure, I, I guess you could, it would be very difficult for me to book shows in Europe and South America from, from my house, but I guess you could, but in America, yeah. Like I said, until we signed to Pure Noise, um, who, who, who sort of like suggested we get a booking agent, like <laughs> sort of kind of like heavily suggested. And we're like, okay, we don't want to make you mad. We'll get a booking agent. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you were in Salia as well. Now, I was and am a huge Texas is the Reason fan. So when I heard, you know, new band, Garrett from Texas, members of Sam I Am, I was like, great, awesome. Loved the band, loved that four-song EP that came out, loved everything that came out. And, 
you know, Texas is the reason was like only a fairy tale to me because I got into the scene and all that stuff after they were broken up. So, you know, I, I was, it was just like a legend to me. So the fact that Celia was around was exciting to me and it's a great band. How do you feel about it? Um, well, Celia, it's called Celia. Sorry to correct you. Uh, all, see, all these years I was saying Celia. It, it doesn't matter. People say, say Samium and, and Simium and Sam, I am and stuff too. It's just like, I don't know why I've always been in bands with dumb names. Um, and also they say Sergi and Sugi and Sergey and whatever. <laughs> Maybe that's where it's from. See again, Sergi, we are here to get the correct information. Yeah. Give wow. it to us. Yeah, hard-heading journalism over here on your part. Um, <laughs> so Soleil was sort of like, kind of like what Racket Club is now, where, um, I mean, Racket Club, uh, Ways Away is now, it, where um, I, you know, clicked with other people to do a band outside of Sam I Am, which is a stupid idea. Like, if you're 30 and you start a band, it's like, what are you doing? You're too old for this shit. Um, or older, like I am now. Um, like, click and you know it's with people that kind of like i don't know how to put this where it doesn't sound kind of strange but they kind of respect what i i do and and part of the allure of starting a band with me is because what i of you know what i bring to the table which is like uh writing the music right whereas sam i am is like i'm sure there's a certain amount of uh respect amongst the other four guys of what I do a certain amount, but they're just kind of like stuck with me. Right. So like, you know, it's like, I don't want to sound like it. I can say this and it sounds like uh sour grapey or, or something. Uh, and I don't want it to, but it's like, sometimes a struggle and some I am is like to get everyone on the same page. And some I am is kind of uh, a lot of, you know, fighting and hurt feelings and people are mad at each other and a lot of compromise from my perspective, just like a shitload of compromise. And I'm sure from other people's perspective, a ton of compromise. Whereas like Soleil and Ways Away, um, I write like almost all the music, most of the music and everyone's like happy as a clam with that. Um, so it's like this great outlet for me from like a person that make that like thinks up songs musically where I, it's just like neither ways away or, or, or Soleo like became famous or fame became famous. What I'm saying, uh, got to the level of notoriety, uh, as Sam I am, but it's in, in ways, ways I was more into each of these bands because it was more, I felt like a little bit unfettered in it all in it. And I still do now, like last, just a couple months ago, ways way put out a record and we're about to put out a new Sam I'm record and Sam I'm's going to come out and it's going to be a lot, just a lot more people are going to like talk about it and listen to it and whatever and buy it or whatever. But in a lot of ways, I'm like more attached to the ways away record, you know? Yeah. You know what? Let's shift gears for a second and talk about this record. Torch songs just came out in 2022. Yes. I, yeah. Somewhere in the, uh, a couple of months ago. Yes, it, it did. <laughs> okay. First of all, excellent record. I really love it, and I encourage everybody to go listen to it. Second of all, just a great band. I had Jesse, Jesse Barnett on the show recently. He's a great guy. I love the band. How did you hook up with him? How did that come together? Well, I didn't hook up with him uh, initially 
Oh, it was like the rest of the band, and then you were looking for a singer, and then later that's how Jesse yeah. came into it, right? So I, I went to a, I'm friends with Scott from Terror, so I went to a Terror show down here, and I was backstage, and some guy that was friends with him came up to me, and a big guy, big tattoo guy, guy that you would think would be backstage at a Terror show, and I was like, is this guy fucking with me? Because he kept saying all this. He seemed kind of like excited to talk to me and they start talking about Sam I am and and it turns out he was just a big giant fan of Sam I am or, or whatever. And uh he goes, Well if you ever want anyone to play with this you want to play and, and I was like, Oh this guy seems nice. I want sure. And um I I was like, Oh my friend Jared who's the drummer of Sam I am uh we've been talking about playing together and he has a uh uh rehearsal room if you want to uh and um and he goes i i'm really good friends with jared and stuff and so the three of us got together and um and we you know i always have like right now i have about nine songs i always and one time I have nine songs kind of ready to go if anyone will play with them and we got we practiced like maybe i don't know eight nine times and got to the point you know where three of us are pretty good at this at these songs or whatever and <laughs> The whole way through, I just didn't really take it seriously. I figured, okay, we're going to get to this point. We're not going to find a singer that, like, I find, I, I, speaking for myself, I found like worth worthwhile um, to play with, and we're just going to fizzle out. Um, but it'll be fun to play with these guys, and it'll be fun, you know, just hang out, making new friends. Um, and there was a couple other people, actually, that those guys were talking about, but then they just brought up uh, Jesse. And so, you know, I went... I went um, on YouTube to, to look at, uh, you know, what Jesse's other band was, uh, Stick to Your Guns, and I watched it, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is like, <laughs> like hardcore music, and I can tell he's a good singer because they have these choruses, but it's like, this is, you know. And after I became friends with them, I became friends with the guys at Stick to Your Guns, my mind was much more open than, like, you know, I have a stop, stop uh spot my heart for their band but um and i have a lot of respect for what they've done like massive like wow but uh but when i first heard it i was like what the fuck are you talking about it's like <laughs> i from my perspective i was like you want the singer of fucking limp biscuit or corn to sing for the, these songs what are you fucking talking about but i was open-minded minded to it and then um before we ever played jesse took an acoustic guitar and his iphone and went into his bathroom crawled in the tub and sang one of one of the songs. One of the songs that ended up being on the record. And I was like, holy fuck, this guy is great. Like I can't believe it. Like the guy that's just going, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> what what the fuck? And it and it's amazing. And I don't know like if it's ever happened to any other band, but we never met. We never played together. He just like learned how to play that song, like basic chords of it and sang on it with a guitar on an iPhone. And then when it came like a year and a half later, a year, whatever later to record that song, we used that iPhone uh, clip, like download off his phone and mixed it. And it's the intro to one of our songs. Um, oh, awesome. Which is like, and it sounds, the intro sounds rad. It just sounds like, like what you do when you go in the studio and you make it sound like someone with an acoustic guitar, Tar went inside uh, the tub in their bathroom and recorded it. Like you know, use 
either do that or use filters or, or preamps or whatever or distortion uh, to make it sound like that. But we actually did, did that like full on. But anyway, like, uh, and then, uh, you know, then we did practice together and we like, it just grew. And, you know, like when we started, you know, he was managing bands at the time, his band tours, like just way too much in my opinion. I <laughs> just really tour a lot. And um, he said, like, we were, you know, getting excited. He said one time to me, you know, we're never going to tour ever. This band's never going to tour. Maybe play around and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't, okay, whatever. And I don't know, at some point, like, that was before we had a plan to make a record. We were just playing. And somehow, not my idea. I mean, it was my idea, but it was like, I didn't push it. Uh, We were recording a record and it's like, he's, Let's book tours <laughs> and stuff like that. So Ways Away has toured, right? Well, you know, then the pandemic hit and we've we've gone up and down California a bunch, but uh, we booked a, a European tour that got canceled last year. Was it last year or a year before? Shit, it's, it's such a blurry thought. But that got canceled because of lockdown. And then we were going to go to Mexico and that got canceled. Uh, but now we, you know, we have a European tour f- for June and our plan is to, is to tour. But, you know, everything is time permitting because, uh, you know, uh, Stick Your Gun still goes on tour like all the fucking time. And then, uh, Jerry the drummer is in a bunch of bands and he goes on tour. Um, and, uh, and even Samham goes on tour, uh, a, a bunch. And so it's just like really hard to do. So, you know, um, it's all up to, uh, time printing. We're going on a, on a, you know, a real European tour in, in June. So that's something. That's cool. I wanted to ask something about, uh, Soleil. I remember I used to f- read your blog. You had you, on your website, you would have these blog posts and I always found those entertaining. I remember before finally we are nowhere came out. There was a post, someone made a post and it was like, oh, we have the album done, but Garrett has this new job and he can't commit time to the album. So we don't know if the album's going to come out. And I was like, oh man, like there's this new music out there and I'm never going to hear it. But eventually the album came out. It's great. Like, how'd you get it done? Did Garrett just find the time? Did you guys work it out? Uh, yeah. Well, what, what really happened was, um, you know, like I was very gung ho still, and I wanted Soleil to be my band for the next twenty years and everything. And Garrett fell out, out of love with the band. I guess me, <laughs> not 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 like our friendship, but like wanting to do a, a uh, you know, this venture together. And really, I think loud music in general, and because we, we you know we were in a Japanese label that paid for everything and. You know, unbeknownst to him, because he didn't do any of the organizing, when he said, yeah, let's do a record, and what he meant was, let's try, and uh, I got one foot out of this thing. I took uh, the first half, like $30,000, and put into my bank account from these Japanese people that that I loved the people because they had brought us to Japan already uh, three times, and they put out our records, and they really promoted us, and... And whereas we could, we found labels in Europe and Japan, but we didn't, and Australia actually, oddly enough, and South America, oddly enough, but we didn't, never really found a, a, a label partner in, you know, in America. 
And so I just, just like, um, like just really like affinity to these Japanese people. And let alone the fact that I took like $30,000, um, I didn't want to let them down, you know? And, um, but, uh, you know, we did the music, which I did the drums. I think I did everything for the most part without Garrett here in LA. And it was just like, I'm trying to make it as easy as possible for you, uh, Garrett. If you could just like now, we got the music done. You could come down now and just for like take, if you could take two weeks and you could, uh, do the guitars, uh, what, which isn't that much left and, and some shit you want to do and then do the vocals. And, you know, I was just like, kind of like in, uh, in fantasy land about it because like I should have like noticed that, uh, that he just wasn't into it. Um, and I should have just not taken that money and done it, but I just let my ambition get the better part of me. Right. And which sucks because, because I did, cause you know, we're two islands, one in Brooklyn and one in, or I don't know if he was in Brooklyn or, or if he was in Buffalo at that time, but, and me in, in LA, uh, even though we have cell phones and emails and texts, there was still like a real barrier where our heads were at and stuff. And so at the time, unfortunately, he was probably like fucking surgeries trying to make me do something I don't want. And I was like, and I was like, fucking Garrett, he's letting me down. And, and, and none of it ever blew up because <laughs> mainly because I would never go against it because I wanted him to finish it. So I was always on my best behavior, but like, you know, grumbling to my girlfriend or my brother or whatever. I was like, fucking Garrett, fucking Garrett, which in retrospect is so unfair. It's like, you can't force someone to do something they don't want to do, especially something like this, especially a singer, right? Yeah. Singer has to put so much more into it than a guitar player or a bass player or a drummer or whatever. But, you know, at the time I didn't have that perspective. And also I had, I was just overrun with the uh, pressure of taking that money and also my ambitions to do it. And so anyway, what ended up happening was is that, uh, you know, he came out and he sang just enough uh, songs to do the record, leaving out a bunch of songs uh, uh, that we re- recorded music to. And and then we just never played a show on it. Like we, I, I joined his next thing, which was called Atlantic Pacific, which was like bedroom music, basically, with, uh, with our mutual friend John Hergus. I went to Europe. And the reason why I did is because I just go, well, well, the guy in Germany just put this out and I want to, um, I want to, uh, like help support it. Maybe we could play a, like it was pretty acoustic and, and we maybe we'll play some of these songs or whatever just to help him, like, so he doesn't have like a thousand records and CDs under his bed or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause we didn't do it. But he had 100% already moved on to like, uh, and we did play some Slayer songs, but he had moved 100% on to like, I want to do like mellow music and, uh, you know, I don't, I, he told my brother once too, and he, when he was listening to the music and he was, and he was, uh, and he was like sort of lamenting to my brother. It's like, ah, oh, like Sergio's forcing me to do this, uh, kind of, and I don't want to do this in this part of time of my life. But he referred, he said, and he knew it would cut deep. Um, I, I, I like the Foo Fighters as much as the next guy. But in general, it's like Foo Fighters isn't my, my, my thing, you know? And um, he goes, he said to, to Sasha's my brother, he goes, he goes, yeah, Sergi's just like, I, I'm just not into doing that Foo Fighter music anymore. And 
like I, this isn't going to make sense to anyone else except like my brother and me and Garrett. But it was just like almost like the ultimate cat, like uh, like insult. Uh, <laughs> and it's not that I hate the Foo Fighters or anything. It's just like he just know, knew that I'm not really into the Foo Fighters, you know, like and I never I was when they first came out. But just in general, like especially once it get popular, I'm just eh. It's not my it's pickup truck music. Well, I don't know. I, just, I don't know. Now I'm digging a hole because I'm talking shit about another band that's very unbecoming of a uh, person in a band. But but when I remember when my brother told me that, like it cut so deep because I was like, oh fuck. But it also explained a lot. And it's like he doesn't want to have distorted guitars and loud thumping drums. And uh like he was probably like thirty mid thirties, early thirties. I don't know how old he was uh when Slay broke up. No, it's like fifteen years ago. He was like yeah, that was probably oh, 2006. Let's see. I was 24, so he was probably like 34. Yeah, 34. But Something like felt, that. He felt too old for that shit, right? And he's yeah. just like a million miles away from that, and like Texas reason and all that stuff. And he also just didn't want to be in a band anymore, and he never really has been in a band since, where it's like multiple people um, like that you got to fight, you know, and compromise with and stuff. It's something I completely respect and understand. But at the time, it was a bummer, and I was really bummed. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I was like, oh, well. And it was before Spotify, like, and, uh, and so it's like, now if you're in a band and it breaks up, like, for example, Racket Club, a band I did before, Ways Away, like, it was short-lived and it had a burst, and we did a record, and it got on Spotify and, and, and YouTube also. Everyone in the world, if they have an inclination or they hear a reference to it, they can go check it out. But when Slayer broke up, it was that the whole time Slayer was a band, it was, it was a that really shitty time of music, uh, where labels weren't really signing new bands, particularly like guys that are in their thirties. Um, and everything just had a stink of the music industry is dying and there was, there was no end, end of, uh, the tunnel to where it's gotten to now, uh, where it's rebounded somewhat. And it just felt like when Slaya, like it, like at the time, if you didn't get the Slaya LPs uh, or, or the CDs that existed, uh, it was just an apparition. Like it might as well never happen. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, I had the Japanese people put up put up the Slaya stuff on at least the two records, not the EPs, but two records up on Spotify. And it's great, but like when when there was no Spotify, no wasn't in YouTube. I just felt like wow, that was just like a, a colossal waste of time because it basically doesn't exist except for like the hundreds or maybe fifteen hundred people that bought uh, an album or a CD, right? Have you seen more people discover it now that it's on Spotify? I remember it it coming back on Spotify, and I was excited because I was like, oh, I haven't heard this in a long time, and I lost all my CDs. Oh yeah, no, it uh, no, no. Uh, I think that Slayer is not a, a known entity, and mm-hmm. there's no no um, resurgence to it. I think it's just like, a, and I and I don't mind it. I like it that way. It's just sort of like this unknown kind of thing. There is this like small group of people around the world that follow everything that Garrett does or everything that I do, uh, and of course those people. And I, I guess in a way, you're one of those people. Um, Yes. And I find those people to be like very like endearing. Like if I'm, uh, this, this is something that happens for me and, uh, I'm not a singer. So it's much different for, for Garrett. Like, uh, Garrett could be busking on the street and someone says, you're my favorite singer and it means something. Um, but when someone comes up to me after like a 
Ways Way or Sam I Am Show, and they say, you're my favorite guitar player. And they do that, like, as odd as that might sound. Um, it, uh, it embarrasses me if anyone else hears it, because really what they're saying, uh, and they have no better way of saying it, is, like, you're, like, an, you, you write pretty good music, and you're pretty good at playing your, your, your dumb little songs, but you have, like, an exquisite taste in picking singers to start bands with, uh, which I think is, like, uh, I, like, I actually take pride in, in that. Um, oh, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. Uh, there's a certain amount of people that do that. And all, not every show, but many shows, people come to me and they're like, oh, that's I like Knapsack. Uh, I love, uh, they'll talk about Sweet Baby, a band I played back in the Gilman days that I played drums in and stuff like that. Like that. And they're, they're like a real, like, Sergei Lubikov, like, uh, fan. And, um, and I love it. Like, I, it's great. I don't take it very seriously, uh, obviously, because, you know, singing means everything to music to me. And like, you know, writing some cool guitar riffs or arrangings uh, or orchestrating a bunch of uh, guitars and bass and drums. It, it's cool. It's neat. It's a skill. But uh, but it, it's not like singing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not like. Is it possible that you're not giving yourself enough credit? No, I can, like, I, people always say that. I'm not saying that, like, I'm garbage person that never amounted to anything. I'm just saying. I think if someone says you're their favorite guitar player, you should accept it as that. Because uh, that, that means that you make sounds that they really enjoy. Yeah. No, and, 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 and I take it. I, I take the compliment as it's intended and I accept it. I'm not like, uh, oh, shucks. <laughs> you know, but, but I like, I feel like the responsibility to put it in perspective that it's like, yes, but that's just what it is. It's not like I'm a singer. Uh, and, and, you know, this is the dynamic that happens a lot in Sam I am. It's like, I'll be right next to Sean, the other guitar player who is, uh, you put his guitar in Sean's hand, you put a guitar in my hand, uh, and say, Hey, play something. Uh, not with like, just play something right in front of me in a guitar store or whatever. And, you know, everyone's going to go, Oh yeah, that guy Sean's way better guitar player than, than Sergi. And it's true. I don't think he plays Sam Am songs better than me. I don't think he writes better songs than I do, but he sure plays circles around me, uh, on, on the guitar. And, you know, the amount of times someone's come up to me and called me, you know, like I just said, their favorite guitar player in front of Sean, uh, and Sean just chuckles, you know, like a, like a dick. Uh, uh, and, and I get embarrassed, you know, like I, that's happened millions of times, you know, and it's like, he's, you know, he's been in this band for like 25 years or whatever. And he's like, especially now, like what the band has been 10 years, he's probably, you know, um, most ways more of what Sam I am sounds like now than I am for the, you know, so for the last like two or three record, three records. But I, you know, a part of what people like Sam, I am will always think, Oh, he's that new guy. Right. So they don't necessarily go up to him and say, you're my favorite guitar player, but it's, you know, it's just not, <laughs> it's not fair that they wouldn't say, Oh yeah, Sean's a better guitar player than Sergi. <laughs> well, You've got a pretty incredible re resume, in my opinion. Sam I Am, Ways Away, Soleil, Atlantic Pacific. I liked that band, too. I actually managed to see Atlantic Pacific live before. Um, let's talk about what we have coming up. You said there's a new Sam I Am record in the works? Well, it's, it's coming out in April. Uh, it's, it's been done for 
it's been done for like almost a year. It's just a pandemic. It's, uh, uh, you know, but a, a, a botch and everybody, I mean, mainly just like, uh, like when you, when you make a record and you finish it and you send it to the manufacturer, it takes freaking 10 months for them to make it now, you know? But on top of that, then the label has to, we're on this label called Pure Noise and they got to do all the shit they got to do to uh, promote it in advance. So that's coming out. You know, we have like, we have a West Coast tour, we have an East Coast tour. We're doing the Midwest down to the South uh, with Bouncing Souls. And we're doing, as usual, every year, going to Europe, like in fall. Uh, yeah. And uh, Waysway, like I said, we're going to, we have a show coming up with the Flatliners here in LA. And then we have uh, Europe in June. So uh, yeah, I got a bunch of music stuff. Waysway is ready, like almost ready to do our third record. Like we have all these songs written. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's kind of never ending and it just gets back, backlogged. Uh, and there's always the fear because so many of my bands have sort of like fallen by the wayside or broken up that like, oh no, these songs I'm so happy with at, at, at the time, like right now I'm so into are never going to come out um, because the band's going to break up. And I'm just like, oh, come on, hold it together, Sam I am and ways away. <laughs> yeah, it's happened to me so many times now that I'm kind of used to it. I'm like, if this band, if this band ends and these songs never come out, it's not the end of the world. And even though I think I'll never play music again, I probably will. Yeah. You know, it's like I feel a responsibility to myself because I do have a little bit of an audience of people that follow all these bands I'm in, like to get whatever. If I, if I have like the inspiration to make a song or do something, to get it out there so it's heard. And it's like it's weird because like when I'm sitting here you know, doing what, eating breakfast. It's like, I have no actual, like, perception of some guy in Sao Paulo listening to that song or Cologne or, 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 or Osaka or whatever. But because I know that it exists, you know, I know, like, right. In fact, I can go on Spotify and see how many people are listening to songs I wrote uh, right at the second. It's really weird kind of thing um, with, with artists or Spotify that, I don't know. I'm just like really like interested in getting every single song that I like that I've made up like out there. And like, you know, on the Sam Lamb song uh, record, there's a song that I found in a folder in an MP3 uh, that I, that was a demo for your freaking out, which is our 2016 record. And that song is on our new Sam Lamb record because we relearned it. Jason didn't like the vocals, so he totally changed vocals 100%. But the music's pretty much identical. Uh, it wasn't even a demo. It was actually a practice room tape. So it was really hard for me to figure out the guitar parts and the bass to teach the other guys because they're so mushy. But like that song is coming out in 2023 and was written in, 2000, in 1996. Um, and it's like... There's a part of me that's like so. It's not the best song we've I've ever written or anything, but I'm just so happy that it didn't go on the wayside. So many other songs, and like on each Ways Away record, there's songs that are basically songs that uh, were rejects from either Sam, mostly Sam I Am, but also uh, Racket Club. Um, or not rejects from Racket Club, but Racket Club broke up, so we didn't get to do them. That became Ways Away songs, and I was like, oh, cool! Like these songs that uh, don't like uh 
don't actually like live uh, like in this reality except for a folder in a hard drive or on my computer uh, got realized and are actually hopefully being enjoyed, maybe not being enjoyed that much, but uh, by people around the world, it's like, I, you know, it's just like very gratifying or satisfying or whatever for me, you know? Um, yeah. So like the, the fear of, of any of the ones I have now, like, uh, like nine right now, not making it out there. Like it's like in the back of my mind, like this anxiety. And I, I, I really hope we like do more uh, ways, do another ways way record and, uh, and maybe Sam, I am and stuff, you know, it's like, I hope so. <laughs> it sounds like you still love it. Do you? I think everybody who's been in the band for a long time, like whether they're popular or not popular, have like a love hate relationship with it. And it's like, yeah, part of, part of what all that all this is, I do love, but you know, like a question I've gotten for like 30 years when I do interviews is like, well, not for 30 years, the second half, once I like was an older guy doing it is like, how long do you have this in you or why do you still do this? And um, there's a, there's the, uh, you know, the fancy answer, which is because I love it, man. It's because it's all I know how to do. And this is what I want to do. And, you know, <laughs> and, you know, the, but then there's the real answer. And it's like, I don't fucking know. I don't know. I don't. There's so much bullshit I have to put up with uh, to be in a band and get it done. And so much hardship. Uh, and and depending on your perspective, it's like little to like not, not, no payback. So I, I don't really know, no, no. I mean, but it's the same thing. Like when you, when, when I do a drawing or something, it's like, what's the payback for that? And it doesn't stop me from doing it, right? You just, you, you know, I don't want to sound like an asshole uh, and call what I do like art, but like it depends what your definition of art is. Like if you, if you make art just just this broad, like unsensed, uh, sensationalized uh, term where you're just like. You do away with that, like, oh, I'm an artist, uh, or like, this is really important. It's art. And you just say, art is just a thing that people create. It's like a vast, wide, like, definition of what is called art. And it's just a thing. It's not that important. And it's not, n- not totally unimportant. It's just what it is, you know, and use art, like, in the spirit, that spirit, like, the spirit I think of art, you know, there's no freaking, uh, champagne glasses and <laughs> what, Continct and no critique by like snide people, whatever. Like just doing art is just like a way to cope with uh, the confusing and like inauspicious like predicament we we find ourselves being alive on this planet. You know, it's like it's just a way to coping with like like the uncertainty of like is any of this worth it? Like anything, (laughs) right? Uh, I would say creating makes it worth it. That I, I, that's what I just say. I like to create because then I don't get gatekept by any weird art people. Um, that's what I like to do. I could do anything. I could wake up and play Warzone Two all day. I could sit and watch TV all day, and sometimes I do. But ultimately, I need to create to be happy. Yeah, I. You know, it's weird too. I, I don't have like when I think of a real artist. Artists, they're like their passion is so like big and they're just like from the second they wake up from the from the uh, time they put their head to the pillow they're just like create 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 and like with like uh visual art i'm definitely not that person like takes a lot to get me to to sit down and draw uh but even with playing guitar it's like i just like always have a guitar in my hand and i just like to play and shit comes up uh, i come up with stuff right but i don't have like 
I don't have this like, oh, drive. Like, I wish I could say like the, uh, I'm an artist motherfucker and this is what I do. But I, it just, I, I find myself doing it. Right. And he asked, like, why do you do it? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but, you, know you have to have drive or you wouldn't be doing it because you've done a lot and you're still doing a lot. Well, I, I have a certain amount of drive. I don't have that drive that you see in the movies. For nah, that's, that's bullshit. You know, I no, think most of that's bullshit. I, I've met people that are like that, like painters and stuff that they're and stuff that they're just like super passionate in the way where they eat and, and musicians too, actually, where they just eat and sleep, uh, you know, and dream and shit and fuck their art. Right. And, uh, you know, that does exist. I mean, I know what you're saying is bullshit. I'm not trying to contradict you. Uh, but but there are people that I think that really honestly feel that way, like crazy people, <laughs> you know, like people like so many people in this world are one dimensional about unproductive things. Like they like spend way too much time obsessing about Warzone or whatever game you just mentioned or whatever that's not <laughs> particularly productive or, or what or, or, or addictions or whatever they're obsessed about. I'm like a really mild mannered person uh, about a lot of things. And one of them is just, I'm just not particularly passionate about uh, I'm super interested in, in things like I'm super interested in music and, and stuff, but I, I, yeah, uh, or art, or, but I just don't have like this like raging passion that where a fire burns in me. <laughs> I don't take life seriously enough to do that about anything, really. I like to do it, but I'm not doing it 24 hours a day. Let's put it that way. Well, Sergi, listen, I, I've been listening to you for most of my life. I appreciate everything you do. And you know what? I really like your guitar playing. How about that? Oh, thanks for saying that. I, I, I like before. I always uh, appreciate it, you know, when I hear it. Yeah. And, I, and it, yeah. The thing about too, it's like um, I don't go on tour that often anymore. Play shows that that as often as I used to, and and sometimes I forget about uh, that I've been doing this for thirty years. And then like you know, we just went on tour on this really big tour in Europe. Every night was thousands of people. And people coming up to me and 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 going and standing in front of like you know four thousand people or whatever and stuff. And I'm it's the amount of times in recent years I've just been reminded like oh shit, there is this all was had a certain amount of like it's worth itness. You know what I mean? Like worth it was. This is not totally unworthwhile. This venture of playing guitar and bands that I've gone um, that I've engaged in. Uh, and it's nice to hear. And like, even like you just say, oh yeah, I enjoy your guitar playing and stuff and stuff. Like, yeah, it, it never fails to, uh, to, uh, give me the warm and fuzzies. So thanks for saying that. Absolutely. Thank you. And I mean it too. I, I have been listening to you a long time and, uh, I appreciate you. So thanks. And there you have it, Sergi Lubkov. Great conversation. The guy has been doing it for a very long time. He can't miss. I mean, you heard the list of bands in the beginning of the show. I've been listening to him for years. Back when I was first got obsessed with Texas is the Reason in, I guess, the year 99, 2000. That took me to Sam I Am. I started listening to them. Years later, I heard Garrett was starting a band with members of Sam I Am. That took me to Solea. That took me to Atlantic Pacific. 
Ways Away, I discovered through this show because I talked to uh, Jesse from Stick to Your Guns and Ways Away before. Their new album is great. You know, it was great hearing about all the specifics about Solea because I remember that blog post and thinking, oh my God, we're never going to get this second LP. I'm never going to hear it. So that was really interesting to hear about. I, I've been listening to his music for a long time. So it was just a awesome, awesome conversation. Yeah, the Soleil story was really cool because he was really honest about it, wasn't he? He was telling you know about how he got um, upset because Garrett had made that comment about it sounding like the Foo Fighters. But like you know, I really love hearing that kind of um, background stuff because in, I'm sure you know I know you've been in bands. There's always those like situations where like you know it's like you're really on board and then some people aren't and they're your friends and then you, you get frustrated with them and then it's like, oh, but they're my friends and we're just doing this for fun. And, uh, you know, you get in those situations, especially with him having like, what, 30 grand from the Japanese record label sort of sit in his bank account and he's wanting to finish the record. Uh, you can understand his side. And then Garrett on the other end is like, well, I just don't want to do something half-assed that uh, I'm not really into. So yeah, that was really great to hear that whole backstory. I mean, it's glad that good that the the music actually came out. Um, but yeah, it yeah. sounded like pretty hard, hard going for a while. Sergi gives it to you straight. And I love that because it's always interesting. Like he just tells you exactly what happened. That happens a lot because bands don't want to necessarily dig into their dirty laundry and tell you everything that happened but he just he just explained exactly what happened yeah yeah definitely i mean you know the thing is too it's like uh, part of the part of this um you know listen to this podcast made me realize like you know he he works with such amazing singers doesn't he i mean he's got blair from knapsack and even racket club that racket club album is amazing um you know and like you say the guy from ways away and he and you know he did kind of downplay his role as like not being the singer and, you know, just being the guitar player. But, you know, if you listen to the albums that he plays on, like, you know, another one is uh, like specifically Knapsack, where if you listen to like the first two or three albums that he's not on, like they're really good and they have some really cool songs. But then he, I think, joined in like 97. He's on This Conversation Is Ending. And that record is like hit after hit. I mean, so even though I don't even know if he wrote all those songs, like, or he co-wrote them or if he didn't even write them at all, but like his contribution and his guitar playing. And a lot of time it's like very restrained, restrained. Like he isn't just blasting solos in your face all the time. He's just kind of like playing really cool stuff, but there's like really subtle things that he does. And he definitely you know, kind of ties the whole thing together and all the bands that he's in, at least from my perspective. I just, I just really love, you know, he's kind of like my Johnny Marr, you know, like the sort of punk and emo scene where he's just like anything he plays on, no matter who he's playing with, it just becomes this next level thing. And uh, yeah, I think he's kind of downplaying a little bit about not being the singer. Cause I think, you know, I think there'd be a lot of guitarists out there agree that, you know, he's sort of like that his one of his one of our like Mount Rushmore guitarists. Yeah, I don't think he was giving himself enough credit at all. No, and and you know the thing is too, like I um when the Jazz Dude played Fun 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 Fest back in twenty thirteen, Knapsack um also played. Well we so we played it like a before the show party with mineral knapsack and into it over it. Um Whoa. Yeah, it was amazing. And I you know, I hadn't been that too into knapsack. I obviously love Same I am, but seeing them live was just like it was funny because afterwards we were like we've been sacked. We're, 
we're sack <laughs> we're sack heads now after seeing knapsack because they were because <laughs> they were just so good and it was funny because long story short but another friend of mine's band you know because i'm living in london so i go to the to texas and i see this guy from new jersey who's playing in another band on the festival called spider bags and we're like hanging out drinking a few beers in this little trailer he has and um, and all of a sudden, Sergi and one of the other guys from Knapsack walked by. And by that point, I'm a little bit cut. I'm like, yo, what's up, guys? And I said to my friend, I'm like, yo, this is the guy from Sam I Am. And he was like, well, I'm here with Knapsack. And he was just, they were just so cool. And he was such a nice guy. Just like, even though I was just like slightly drunk, like two <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon at a festival, um, he was such a cool guy. So yeah, he, um, again, yeah, I think he's definitely downplaying himself as being the sort of a, uh, person that um isn't really leading things because he's not the singer um but yeah again like um when he talks about like why does he do it i really like that that story too where he was like you know at my age or when i got a little bit older it was like why why do you still do it and he's just like i just don't know you know and i, I just kind of love that answer it's just ingrained in him yeah yeah and you know I've had similar experiences where I remember like after I graduated from college and um was still playing in all these bands and 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 you know putting all these time and money into it, and my parents were just like, "Why are you still doing this? You're not making any money yet and I, and again, I'm not comparing myself to Sergi. He's obviously much um more successful, but I remember like thinking like, yeah, but like, okay, so I'm paying money for these rehearsals and maybe I'll make a few bucks off the gigs, but I get to travel and I get to see really cool people and meet cool people all the time. And I was also like, my brother is like playing in this roller hockey league, right? And he's paying like, you know, league fees and all these other different like fees for equipment and everything, the same thing. But they don't say to him like, why are you still playing roller hockey? You know what I mean? Like you're, <laughs> you're never going to make it as a professional roller hockey player. And it's like, yeah, for some reason, when you get to a certain age, people are like, oh, why are you still doing this? You're not going to be famous. But obviously that's, that's definitely not the point. Yeah, people get stuck on that. I think in terms of bands, they think you think you're going to be Guns N' Roses or something. <laughs> yeah, but it's, yeah. it's like, no, it's exactly what you said. I invest in the the equipment. I, I get to go go out and maybe play some cool gigs and I get to see my friends. It's a, it, it's just, it's it's what we do. Yeah, it was funny because I, I, at one point he was talking about how he didn't like fully invest in being like a musician as far as like, you know, he made use the David Lee Roth analogy of like, you know, going full on into it and, and being fully invested in it. And, um, and then later on he talked about, you know, oh, I don't want to call it art or being an artist because I know artists who really go, you know, they live and breathe and shit and fuck their art and all this other kind of stuff. But it's funny because with music, um, you know, as he pointed out, it's like, well, you know, he was still a graphic designer doing jobs like on the side in between tours and stuff, because that's what you have to do as like a musician. You know that, I mean, I'm sure it's the same in the art world, but like, you know, you can't just go fully into it because, you know, there's just a high, a huge, massive probability that it's going to be a complete waste of time. So having that sort of like side thing to, to, um, to fall back on, you know, is just necessary for a person like him, especially if he's, you know, touring a lot, because I mean, you know, you can't really probably live off touring if you're not doing it, you know, 250 shows a year, cause you're probably not making enough money. So, um, 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting concept of like is a musician an artist? I mean, obviously, I think they are. It's definitely a little bit different, but um, you know that obsession. Um, if you go fully into it and you just don't have a, a backup plan, then yeah, nine million times out of ten, you're you're probably gonna uh, not make it. But um, for the the lucky ones who do, obviously, it's a different story. But I, I guess you can't really say you're not an artist as a musician, because you're not just diving into the world of what you're doing. Yeah, I think it depends. You know, if, you know what, if you say you're an artist, you are. How about that? Who are we to decide? Well, this is it. And also, I guess in, 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 his, in his situation, he's been able to, you know, be in really good bands, put out consistently great music. You know, he's got his side job as a graphic designer, which means that he doesn't have to try and write some shitty music or, you know, that is going to be maybe popular and make him more money or things like that. He has the like liberty to, to do both, you know, being a cool artistic project that he can like really put, do the music that he wants and not have to like try to make a sound that he thinks is going to be a little more commercially successful. There's great freedom in that. Look at Coldplay. They're like a, I don't know, they're like a techno band now. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I was just talking to someone about this the other day, Coldplay specifically, because um, yeah, to remain relevant, they've had to do songs with like BST and like K-pop bands and stuff like that just to keep themselves like in the charts. And it starts to feel in, a bit desperate after a while, you know, because you know, the the first Coldplay album had some pretty good songs. Um, oh, yeah. That album was beloved, even in hardcore circles. Exactly. So, um, you know, I suppose it's you've got to kind of walk that line. It's like uh, trying to remain relevant or in the pop world or just, you know, resigning yourself to saying, well, I'm not going to be selling out stadiums, but I can put out cool music and I can be proud of the output of um, of what I uh, what I've done. Yeah, I think it's all relative to your band. Like, if I'm in a band as big as Coldplay, I'd be like, assign me whatever songs the collective has written. I'll sing them. I don't care. Just, I want to keep playing stadiums and be in charts. But for a band like Sam I Am or Ways Away, you're right. Sergi has the liberty of doing what he wants to do, and there's great freedom in that. Yeah, and again, I'm not comparing myself to Sergi, but um, you know, there was a time in the Jazz Junes career, sort of towards the end, when... Um, there's a lot of hype around, you know, My Chemical Romance, or maybe it was a bit before that. It was like Dashboard Confessional that was starting to get big and on MTV and saves the day. And we were sort of like, um, you know, we weren't at that level at all. But people, we would talk to people or hear through the grapevine, like people saying like, you know, why don't you just write a song about this? Or someone said to me, why don't you write a song with lyrics that people can relate to? And I was like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I thought that, that's what I've been trying to do. But, um, you know, yeah, there is that. You get that um, You get that kind of pressure from people or people just making these little suggestions like, why are you trying to do that? Why are you trying to do this? And, you know, um, it, it never works out. You're never going to all of a sudden write a great album because you've listened to some A&R person at a record label who's like, oh, why don't you write a hit, you know? Um, and also I think the bands in our world of – punk and hardcore or whatever, 
they get signed and they get dumped like immediately, you know, unless you're like Green Day who are like the one lucky one. It's like they write, they, they go in and try to write this like really poppy album. It's terrible. No one likes it. And then they disappear. So yeah. Is it really worth it? Probably not. No, the, this music by and large is not for the masses. It just isn't. Yeah. And I really liked, um, you know, hearing him, I talk when he's talking about his selling out story, because, um, I remember when I was, I guess it was 16 or 17. And I was like, so into hardcore and straight edge. And like, I wouldn't listen to anything on a, um, on a major label. Like I was like, I only listen to indie records and, you know, I'm gonna throw away all my old, you know, Led Zeppelin tapes, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, punish them for uh, being such sellouts. But, um, <laughs> and then, you know, obviously like, Green Day came out with Dookie. I guess Dookie was on a major label, but anyway, that went huge. And, you know, then he talks about it with Jawbreaker. Um, and I like, it's funny too, because I remember, you know, him talking about how he was like, oh, Jawbreaker, they got a lot of flack for selling out because they were kind of from that like punk rock scene and people just expected of it expected it of us like oh i guess you know sam I, we always knew sam Man was gonna sell out but i remember <laughs> but i remember when i was so when i was like yeah 16 17 in my like most idealistic straight edge vegan time of my life um yeah i i you know sam i am was like okay to listen to even though you're into hardcore and straight edge but i remember when they signed or i found out they like, found out that they signed i was so devastated i was like how could they do this to me? You know, like I, this band that I love is signing to a major label. And I remember having this argument with a friend of mine, this girl, Claudine, who was just like a little bit older and was like, what's wrong with you? Like, what do you expect them to do? They've gone along this long at this level and they want to like go out and see what's on the other side. And again, at the time I was just livid, but now it's like, yeah, you know, to get on a major label at that time, and to put out the album that they did, which again, isn't like a super overproduced crappy record that they're trying to do something that they're not. It's like, well, we're going to get paid. We're going to, you know, go to the studio and actually have time to record an album in a good studio with a producer who knows how to get the sound we want. Um, instead of rushing through like in a whole album in like five days or whatever, just because we have no more budget, we're going to get like, a van so that we don't break down <laughs> everywhere we <laughs> yeah. go equipment that works so that we can play the gigs. And, you know, even if you're getting, I don't know what they signed for, but if you think about it, like a million dollar deal or something between five people, all right, so you're already cracking that into five pieces. Then you pay for the album, which I don't know, 40, 50, a hundred grand. I have no idea how much it costs to make, you know, um, then you buy a van, then you get equipment. It turns out to be like a pretty modest, you know, amount of money after you factor in those things. So even though you see those big numbers and think, oh, they're millionaires now, actually, it's just like what you kind of need to do the thing right, you know, to get out there again in a studio, make a good record and have time to not rush through it. Um, so really the whole sellout thing isn't really you know, it's not um, like, oh, well, I'm cashing in and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on a Budweiser commercial now and I'm writing songs that um, are about like parties and, 
you know, getting, <laughs> getting high or whatever, but it's, um, it's just actually what you need to, to, to get by. And, and, and it's probably like what, like a five-year investment. You put out the album, you, you go on tour, see what happens. And by the time you're through those, you know, that first touring cycle, I'm sure all the money's probably gone. It's a young person's way to think the whole yeah. sellout thing. Yeah. I don't know. They think they know the band or there's some parasocial thing going on or younger people don't understand having to actually pay for shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think by the time I was 18, 19, I didn't care who signed with what band anymore. And there was like more of a mainstream thing happening in the scene, starting with, I think, at the drive-in on Grand Royal. You know, yeah. I was like, at the drive-ins on Grand Royal? Isn't that the Beastie Boys label? Oh, okay, cool, whatever. And after that, I just didn't care. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously something to be said about supporting independent record labels. But, um, you know, there's two sides of that because sometimes, you know, it's like if, um, you know, I, I have friends, like I had a friend who um, had a record label um, that he put out like the first Dillinger Escape Plan um, album. And then they got bought by, I can't remember who it was. Um, but at any rate, he then got paid um, because they kind of bought their contract, bought the band's contract. He then sold like a shitload of the first album because they're now being promoted by this, you know, much bigger. I don't think they went out. I think it was Century Media or someone like that, but they went on to like a bigger label. Um, and, uh, and then sometimes bands will go sign their major label deal, then go back to a, a bigger indie and then, you know, benefit from the promotion they got. So kind of in the long run, you know, obviously, independent record labels, record shops, things like that, you know, again, they're doing it for all the right reasons where like a Sony or an Interscope has obviously got investors who are just trying to make cash. And, but um, yeah, I guess like you kind of have to look at it in just a realistic terms of like how life works. Like you said, shit costs money. Exactly. <laughs> and more and more these days. Well, Sergi, great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. So, Andrew, let's talk about our favorite subject, us. Yes. How are we doing? Now, I have given an update on how I'm doing recently so the people know. So, I want to focus on you while I have you here. Okay. Now, there's, there's plenty going on in you. First, how are you doing personally, Andrew? You're, I mean, you're living in the UK, right? You've got kids. You've, you've got a wife, right? Yeah, I've got two daughters. My daughter just broke her arm this weekend, which was sad. What happened? My five-year-old, she was pretending like she was sitting on a picnic bench, pretending like she was driving a bus, and then she fell over onto her arm. So uh, it was sad, but she's been a trooper. She's made it through. But the NHS over here, um, it's great because it's free. But um, basically, anytime you walk in, it's like a five-hour wait. So uh, she, yeah, Sunday morning, 7 a.m., got into the doctor's x-rays. By the time we get out there, it was like 2 o'clock, and now she's got like this little cast. But she's actually, oh, she's loving the attention. Now that it doesn't hurt, she gets like, uh, she's like, no one's allowed to snatch off me in class, and uh, people bring <laughs> people bring my lunch tray with me. It's awesome, you know, and everyone's like signing her cast. So, yeah, she's uh, she's loving it for the, for the moment. But, yeah, I've got two daughters. I've got a partner, so always busy with that. Um, I'm actually in between... Like I'm not in between jobs, but I'm like working out my um my sort of like leave at a at my one job because I'm starting a new one in April, and over here you have to give three months, which um 
is a long time. It's kind of like living with your ex-girlfriend, you know, while you're looking for a new place when everyone's like, well, I guess when you're leaving, you know, if you're at your new place, you're going to be so much happier, aren't you? You know, <laughs> and you're three months. <laughs> yeah. Sheesh. I know. So, um, so I'm doing that now, but so that's been busy. And then, yeah, lots of new music I've been working on lately. So, um, you've got, uh, the, the post skeleton album. Everyone you know is alone. Mm. has come out since the last time we spoke. How's that going? Yeah, that was really cool. Um, yeah, um, that came out on Friend Club Records, and they did a really awesome job promoting it. We played a few shows and then kind of took a break in the summer just because everyone was busy. Um, but we actually have a show tomorrow night um, here in London, at this cool place called Blondie's. Um, and we're also working on some new stuff as well. Cause that was, that was an EP. So it was only five songs. So we've got, we've actually got another five songs written that we've done some demos, but we need to do like some proper recordings on, but um, we're just at that point now where we're like, trying to figure all that out, how we're going to do it when um, I need to talk to catch up with the, uh, friend club see what they see what they're up to um so when you play uh when you play gigs in london are you like an exotic american musician like when people from <laughs> london play over here um i don't know uh <laughs> no one ever tells me that but maybe maybe like you know the thing is the sound that we, people say it's definitely like an american sounding band um, mm -hmm. which they say in a good thing, as a good thing. Um, so yeah, I suppose the sound of our band, you know, there's a lot of bands over here that are very like indie or, you know, if they're even like more obscure, like they sound like the fall or it's very British sounding, you know what I mean? Or, or if they're like a little more rockin', they sound like more shoegazy or something like the Claxons or some modern music. So yeah, I suppose that in that way, we're, we're a bit different, um, from some of the other bands that we play with. You've got a world exclusive music news as well andrew lay it on everybody yes <laughs> so for the first time in 10 years the jazz june is actually writing songs so our last album after the earthquake came out in 2013 um and um we played some shows after that and some some festivals and stuff like that but um we've always sort of like had a lot of start and stops with writing stuff since then i mean Actually, after after the earthquake was written, I had a whole album's worth of songs that are uh, written, but I think it just got um, you know the internet. You know, obviously they're in America and Philadelphia and North Carolina. I'm here, and the, the internet sort of demo thing got old for a while. So, um, but yeah, recently we've been sharing some demos online. And actually, the cool thing is, is that the other people in the band have been writing all the songs, like. I've been contributing vocals, but um, I haven't written actually any of the songs, which I'm really loving because they come up with some really cool left field stuff that, um, you know, is very different from like the post skeleton stuff and, and, and probably like the last jazz June record, which is a little more straightforward sort of vocals already pre, you know, I, usually when I come to any band, a I minute, mean, it's like, here's the song, here's how it goes. This is how many you know, uh, times we play each part because I have a vocal that's going to it. But, um, yeah, I've been really enjoying the stuff that Dan and, uh, Justin and Brian have been doing really cool. It's cool. So we'll see again. It's, um, it's a difficult one because we're so many miles apart and in so many different time zones, but, um, it's happened before. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye on, on our social media. That's exciting. I can't wait to hear that. And that's the dream. Everybody else writes the music. You just show up and lay down some vocals. <laughs>
Yeah, I just write about how depressed I am, and then, you know, everyone loves it. (laughs) (laughs) Are you taking any A&R guy advice and writing about uh, hair being everywhere, or, uh, I don't know, please, Dave, (laughs) just driving, or any of that? Yeah, it's a lot about driving my car with the the rag top down um, (laughs) on a Friday night on my way to the drive-in movie. That's the movie theater. That's what it's all about. Just party in the USA. That's the... I have some... some secret information for everybody that no one will care about um the last ep i put out the basement year the last song on the record it, it started out as me making fun of tropes in emo songs like uh you know how in emo songs they're like oh we're gonna drive to the west coast and forget about everything and like <laughs> i hope you're doing bad my ex-girlfriend and like all that stuff you know all that stuff yeah, so yeah. i did the opposite in my song i was like we're not driving anywhere we're not going anywhere and then, you know, at one point in the, in the song, I say, like, I'm still mad, meaning I'm still mad about the relationship, but I hope you're doing great. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Aww, that's, that's yeah. So I just, I did the opposite, <laughs> but I was making fun of breakup songs, but then I actually broke up with my partner. So oh. the song became a breakup song. So it went full circle. Uh, you know, you know, I, I definitely write the most when I'm, um, you know, either, yeah, breakups or, uh, I mean, I haven't had a breakup in a long time. Me and my partner have been getting there for over 15 years. But um, yeah, just like the winter depression, you know, that comes over seasonal depression. I'm always like, yeah, it's great fodder for, for, uh, for writing lyrics. And also over here, like, I don't know what the news has been like in the States, but here, um, especially like with this sort of cost of living crisis, like, you know, I I don't read the news because it is just like a lot of, sh- well, I'm not going to say this about all, you know, some D- Donald Trump, like the news is the enemy of the state, but like a lot of it's just like, you know, sensationalized stuff for you to, to read it. Yeah. It's not all fake necessarily, but it, it is, yeah. <laughs> a lot of it is, and a lot of it is harmful or propagandized or whatever else. Yeah, you've got to really research who's writing it and why, and read beyond the headlines. But you know, the the greatest thing here is like, um, you know, some of the tabloids, you know, um, and 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 just some of the headlines they come up with. One of them was like, "You've never had it so bad," and I was like, <laughs> "Excuse me, sir." <laughs> First of all, I have had it worse. Well, <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. But, you know, talking about co- the heating is going up and everyone's going to freeze. And, um, you know, and I, I've really been taking inspiration from a, like a lot of that negativity to sort of like turn it, you know, like you did, you know, turn it, turn it on its tail and kind of like po- point out how ridiculous some of it is. And, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, like, do we, you know, you and I have many problems, you know, there's a lot of people out in the world that have it a lot bad who are like dodging bombs and, you know, uh, yeah, dirty water supplies and everything else. So, um, yeah, you kind of have to take all these things in perspective. Yeah. I, you know, the cost of living crisis is a thing and I'm, I'm lucky in that I can afford my lifestyle and my rent and everything. Great. I know that many can't, but I just avoid the news, Andrew, because it depresses me so bad. Like I'm, I'm clicking. I'm just careful not to click on any news articles. I'm fine burying my head in the sand and just working on my many things because the news just hurts me. I was clicking through articles and I saw some article. It's like girl and her family go to buy a bunny on Easter or something, and someone crashes into their car and kills the whole family. And then they find a bucket list that the young girl made on her computer. 
and I feel like I want to cry and I have like a, this sinking feeling <laughs> in the pit of my stomach. And I'm like, you know what? I sympathize, I but this? I can't even read it because it just hurts me too much. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of horrible things happening all day, everywhere. And some of it, yeah, you should, you should know about. I mean, um, cause then you can hopefully maybe do something about it to help those people. But at the same time, a lot of it's just like this really shitty thing happened to this person. The end. It's horrible. Like, oh, great. Yeah, it's just I horrible. Terrible now. I, I yeah. really, I, you know, I just, I sympathize, but it, it hurts me. I'll just close my eyes and donate to the GoFundMe. How about that? There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, Andrew, it's great to have you back on the show. You got to come by again. You know, we got to we got to make this a thing. Definitely, definitely. Now that I've got this uh, cool mic set up, and um, yeah, anytime you want me on, definitely love the love the podcast. And you know, I I think I you know said this before, but just podcasting is just I'm really it's my favorite thing these days because in addition to like reading, you know, like uh, critics of music annoy me because it's like, well, why are you telling me how bad something is? Let me just, let me just, why don't you write about the stuff that you like, you know? And I feel like with podcasting, you know, you have people on your show because you like their music and you want to find out their backstory and you get to hear straight from the person, their motivations behind things. So, um, yeah, really cool stuff you're doing and, um, yeah, long may, long may it live. Thank you so much for the kind words, Andrew. And yes, like music critics, I think that's all bullshit pitchfork. Like who are those people to sit there and judge the merits of these artists and their work? Like if I'm having a band on my show, you know that I like them. You know that you're going to get the full story behind that band. I love curating the artists. I love curating the playlists. I love dropping little pieces of the music into the show. It's an experience and I love it. Yeah. And you don't have to, you can pick the bands because you like them and you could, you can, you don't have to worry about, you know, getting um, people to click on the story because you've got all these, you know, Nike and Adidas trying, you know, (laughs) monitoring your monthly click, click throughs through their website. And, you know, you need to, you know, talk about the big bands and, and things like that. So um, it's definitely, it's definitely, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point in music kind of um, what, what do we call it? Podcasting? Is it journalism? I don't know, but yeah, um, let's go with that. That sounds important. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Andrew, thank you so much. And uh, listen, everybody, I'm back next week. I'm here every week, no matter what, if I die, there is a, wait, I don't want to say that I'm going to jinx myself. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm always here. I'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest. Take care of each other, and I'll see you next week. Mm